they're all what I describe as voices that haven't been seen, heard and understood. Um, you know, as little children, we just suppressed the pain. You know, we had these traumas and we just said nothing. We were silent. We, we just, we had nowhere to go with it. Welcome to the Emotional Coach Podcast with me, Andrea Splendori. This week, my guest is Antoinette Brax. Antoinette is the founder of Stage Shift Coaching. She's an award-winning managing consulting and leadership coach, and she has recently released a book on strategic and holistic leadership. Please subscribe and share. It's the only way independent podcasts like this have a chance to survive. For more information, please visit andreasplendori.com. The theme tune is Pressure by Nevada. Where are you, Andrea? Is it Andrea? Is that how you pronounce your name? Andrea, yeah. Uh, I'm Italian. Yeah. So it's, uh, I'm in, uh, in Dublin. Well, actually, just outside Dublin. I'm in oh, a place really? called Greystones, which okay. is uh, the beach behind me here. It's the beach where I go in the morning for a run. And, uh, oh, lovely. It's just, yeah, so I just like to have it there as a, as a reminder. There's always a blue sky yeah. behind things, you know, behind yeah, the clouds. Absolutely. I've visited a few times in the last few years, actually, three times altogether. Um, with various conferences and things and masterclasses and stuff. And I found Dublin itself very drab and very containing. But the Ireland, more beautifully, more openly, is just beautiful, isn't it? It reminds me of New Zealand. Yeah, I was going to say, because uh, I, I was trying to figure out where you were from, and uh, but I saw you worked in New Zealand for a while. And I always say, I visited New Zealand Oh, I don't know, over 20 years ago. And I always say, if I ever have to leave Ireland, that's where I go. I'll go nowhere else. Yeah. I'll just go to New Zealand. I just absolutely love the place. And uh, in a way, I, I remember spending a bit of time in Australia then afterwards. And Australia was just a bit, you know, it was the same. You know, the, even the weather was just, it was nice. It was always nice. Yeah, <laughs> With yeah, New Zealand, you always got, nice. yeah. In New Zealand, you just got uh, some really nice days, some really days and uh, it was nice I, I just love the place anyway it's fantastic just fascinating stuff fantastic. that's basically where i'm coming yeah, from and then i saw you i thought i never heard of this stage shift coaching and the more i read the more <laughs> intrigued me and then the more i'm reading i'm actually working with a group of friends we, we set up a group uh to to work with corporate and i mentioned to them and i was talking to you so they actually text me as we speak they text me questions they want to they want me to ask you so because <laughs> they, they looked at your oh, website really? <laughs> they were fascinated so it's all good so anyway that was okay. a about me and the rest is going to be about you so i'm just going to ask you that's a okay no that sounds really really interesting it's lovely to hear your journey it's lovely to hear you explain it and um how it contextualizes where you're at now and how your interest mm. is so um genuine and open it's it's really lovely to have that conversation Lovely. So we get started then. Um, Antoinette Brax uh, from uh, Stage Shift Coaching. Thanks a million for joining me. And so I'll tell you what, I, I was going through and I was like, where am I going to start here? Because there's so much to, to talk about it. But I think I'm going to start from the last bit, which is you just won an award as management consultant, leadership for coaching in 2020. So congratulations on that. Tell me a bit about that. How, who gave it to you and why? Look, you know, it's one of those things that came out of the blue. Um, honestly, it's, um, I've been working for a long time as a coach. I suppose I'm a believer in synchronicity and things happen for a reason sometimes. But that was absolutely out of the blue. Someone has nominated me from somewhere and I actually don't know where. So I have a 
um, a patron in the world here to thank very much for even suggesting it. And somehow or other there's a voting process and you end up at the other end. Um, it was really lovely for me because I joined company of people who are um, leading CEOs and with major consulting firms. And I, so it's a whole league of people that I don't normally associate myself with. So for me, it was like just a gift from heaven, to be honest. I thought, wow, this is really nice. I'm going to enjoy this just for here while it's here. You know? Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, congratulations again. And then the, last, the other thing that happened quite recently, again, just after we started talking through LinkedIn, that you just published your book. Was that your first book? Yeah. It, it's my second book, but it's my first book by a major publisher. So my first book was um, a self-published book some 10 years ago or so, or five years ago, I think. So this is my first properly published, properly edited um, professional coaching book. Um, so it's sort of been an interesting year for me. It's a year where I've sort of risen above the waterline and um, where I'm being seen. Yeah. And the book is, is called Executive Coaching in Strategic Holistic Leadership. And, and mm -hmm. tell me about that process because writing a book, well, first of all, it's not easy. It takes time. And somehow you always, I always feel that I, I'm in the process of writing something at the moment, but you always feel everything has already been told and you know, well, that's me. And then you need to have the angle. So what, what, tell me about that process, deciding to write the book in the first place. Yeah. I mean, I probably don't agree with you that everything's already been told. I think every, I think there's a season for everything and I love reading the old philosophers and I've, I'm going to spend more time reading them as I, as I have more time. And I think there's age old wisdom um, but there's, there's thoughts that have a moment of time when they're useful to people because of where we're at. And um, I've been developing this sort of new way of coaching, which is much more, um, it's a combination of consulting and coaching and mentoring and counselling, much more integrative as opposed to the typical developmental coaching where there was a really strong rigour around open, clean questions. And I knew I wasn't always asking open, clean questions at all. I was offering insights. I was sharing dialogue. I was providing know-how. I was doing things to enable this consciousness to emerge. And so I figured, and then I did a PhD while I was at it, and I figured, well, I may as well start presenting about it. So I started presenting at conferences because I thought, let's see if coaches are interested. And then, you know, McGraw-Hill came to me and said, hey, would you like to write a book? And I said, yeah, sure, I'd love to. Just written a thesis. The book's got to be easy, you know. So it was really a wonderful way of sharing what I discovered through my process of coaching over a period of quite a long time, 10 years, um, and suggesting that coaching needs to evolve as well. Okay. And is the, is the book aimed at the general public? Is it aimed at coaches? Is it aimed at leadership? It's actually aimed at, it's aimed at coaches and also leaders, executive leaders, because it's executive coaching. So I think executive coaches will get the most direct um, benefit from it, but executive leaders can also learn an awful lot from it because there's so much there in relation to shifting to later stages of adult development or maturity or consciousness or however you want to put this, you know, being a more effective synergistic leader. So there's a lot, there's a lot of content in there that, that can help people, I think. Wonderful. I love the way you just said while you were at it, you did a PhD. 
<laughs> and that's the way you <laughs> what was your phd in and i'm sure it was just what, a couple of weeks <laughs> Yeah, no, no, it, was, it took 10 years. It was a much longer piece of string than I ever thought I would, um, you know, that I was embarking on. It just kept on unraveling and unraveling and unraveling and it had a life of its own and it just wasn't finishing. And I thought, well, it's still going. So you just keep on going with it until finally I was, um, I had some time and um, I was living, spending some time in Europe and I was staying with my aunt and she's well, you know, just stay here, my Pierre, get everything finished, your book, finish your PhD, do everything. And I said, well, that's fantastic. So that's what I exactly did. Um, and when you have intensive time to finish something, more ideas dawn more rapidly, I think, and you, you know, it just started to come together. So that, that was lovely at coming together, um, you know, with a new theory and with, a, with having thought through my thoughts long enough that I had landed somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Wonderful. I just want to go back a little bit before we talk about the, the last 10 years and what you developed and stage shift, because I was just looking through, um, can you just give me a little bit of a, like a chronology, a bit of a bio, how did you get to coaching and why did you get to coaching? Because, you know, you, 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 you traveled from Australia, New Zealand, London, back to Australia, and now you're in the Netherlands, am I right? I am now. I'm in the Netherlands, yeah, the heartland of my ancestors. So I've I've actually returned home um, from my parents were immigrants. I went from Holland to New Zealand, and now I've come back. It's um just a bit of a soul journey of itself, I think. But um yeah, I've been a traveller. I've travelled a lot. I've um been really interested in people. So I used to run um, people and culture, sort of in energy companies. Then I really got into leadership development because I thought leadership was very very interesting. Um, and was focused on leadership assessments and ultimately into coaching. And, and coaching, someone said to me once, oh, well, you know, it's no, no surprise you're in coaching, you're a natural. And I, I, so I think there's something about enjoying being with people so much and enjoying, like, it's all about realising their potential. My entire focus in life, purpose, is about all of us realising our potential as wondrous human beings and healing our shadow and moving beyond traumas and dramas of the past and actually being able to shape the world so it's a better container for everyone that's in it and I think that's a really big challenge for us right now that we can rise to if we heal our own stuff first and then start to cultivate what we want on the outside mm. um, so yeah it, it's, it's I think it's been a natural progression a purposeful one that I haven't always steered but that I have continued to follow for somebody listening now, because as I was saying to you before uh, I turned on the recording, you know, I've been told the same, you're a natural and, and I'm sure there's millions of us out there that are natural at this, at this coaching. And uh, but when, you, when you were in those positions before you decided to start your coaching practice, could you, you know, if you, if you bring yourself back, I know you could work, you like to work with people, you like to work with leaders. Did you have the tools? Did you have the that you have now or was it something it was a bit of a frustration going on there where you could you know go looking back if you were if you had to look at it from a coaching point of view not having those yeah. tools back then yeah i can't say i was ever frustrated i can't I, it was like being a duck in water so i, I loved it and because i've been work i've worked within large corporations i understood all the political dynamics and all that stuff that goes on um and probably because I'd landed on my 
bottom a few times in terms of, you know, my own experiences in corporations, I'd had to learn how to do my job much better than I had. So I'd really spend a lot of time working that out. And like I was reading a book a weekend and, and on leadership, but also on things like spirituality and shadow and human evolution and philosophy and things like that to really try and understand life. So for me, it was just about sharing stuff that I had learned and discovered and experienced and integrated in myself and offering people a few guidelines. Um, and to be honest, when I started out, I, didn't do, I hadn't done any coaching credentials because it was way back in 1990. At that point in time, there were very few. So I was working in leadership, therefore, oh, you can coach these people. And I thought, okay, yep, let's do that. <laughs> so it, it, it was a natural progression. And Yeah. And I think the more we invest in ourselves and follow our own interests and our own preferences, you know, with a passion, the opportunities arise to then utilize that for the benefit of other people as well. Yeah, I agree. And I'm on that journey at the moment where I'm really uh, making those changes to, as you, as you describe a container, cre create that container that will be full with, with the right things and the right people and the right jobs. And um, so, so then tell me about stage shift and how you set it up and what is different because I, I read a bit about it and it's, it is fascinating. There's, this, there's some really interesting things in there that I, I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about it. Um, well, I obviously knew about the vertical development, but the way you describe it is quite, it's quite unique and, uh, and uh, it's very appealing to read. So I'd like to know a bit more about it, please. Okay, okay. So if I had to define stage shift, and I've been in, or, or vertical development, so stage shift is a shift in, in stage development. So it's vertical development, making a stage shift. And I've been asked a lot recently, like, how do you define vertical development? And I thought, okay, let's, let's see if I can distill this down. I made it very complicated at first. And then people said, well, what, what does that mean? You know, what are you really getting at here? So I had to boil it down some more. And I, I thought it was, it was really interesting what, what I think, how it came together. But one was a bigger mind. So there's definitely a bigger mind where instead of just seeing, for instance, a forest or a ocean, you see the whole ecosystem and you see how it interrelates with each other. So you see much more at a subtle level, both, like under the ocean or beneath and deeper in the ocean, as well as how everything integrates with each other. So that, that's a really interesting thing to so having a bigger mind and take a bigger, broader perspective. And it's not about intellect. It's actually about interest and understanding and, and seeing. So you need a certain intellect, but intellect of itself doesn't give you this. It actually is the inquiry into the intrigue of how life works. So big mind and then big heart. So that, that's actually really, really important because, um, and we lose a lot of this even currently when people talk about vertical development because they fail to think about the healing. And if we don't do any shadow healing, we can't mature. We just keep going back like a rubber band to those age-old recurring life patterns that happen to us and the dramas just repeat themselves. So, and coaching wasn't really eliminating the dramas. Coaching was helping people to navigate them that wasn't actually focused on eliminating them at a soul, from a soul point of view, from a deeper shadow elimination point of view. So that's really important. You can only do that with the heart. So that, that's a really big aspect. And then a better self. So if you get more aspirational, more purposeful, you end up with a better self. Then you end up with a freer enterprise because you actually create a bigger container in your organization for people. And then you have a better world. 
So once we start to reinvent social structures, economic structures and that sort of thing, we'll end up with a better world. And to do all those things, we need to have a stage shift. We need to lift ourselves from commercial profits, products, processes, to people, purpose, aspirations and inspiration. Um, so that's the stage shift really that um, myself and other stage shift coaches are bringing into the world. Yeah, and I was looking through your blog and I was reading a few things. That, yeah, there's a really interesting um, graph about the, the current industrial age profit and profit products and profits and where we currently are on this upswing curve that it, and then the big purpose and people in the digital day, age. But you're saying something, if I'm correct, that currently only about 10% of organizations are at that stage where purpose and people are more important. Did I read it correctly? Yeah. It, it is correct. So there's, there's about 30% um, of people who are aware that purpose and people are more important and values and principles of executive population. But there's a difference between awareness and then being able to take action to transform it so it is that way. So a synergist can take action to transform the environment, the climate, the culture, the structure, the how the organisation works, its business model and everything. Because it's prepared to, they're prepared to exercise the courage of leadership at that point, and that's less than 10%. And it's only been growing, Andrea, at 1% a decade. So that's really what, because you know, I thought, well, you know, the world's changing, 1% a decade, 10% of executives, it's just not enough to create the new world. So that's been my focus in my coaching practice for the last 10 years is how do we get people to synergist? And that's really how Stage Shift came about. Before I ask you about that, excuse my ignorance, but what is a synergist? So a synergist is that type of leader. It's, it's a label given to a leader who can lead corporate transformation, who are completely self-validating, they're integrated mind, body, spirit, so they know themselves from the inside out. And they trust themselves, trust what's going on around them, discerning, astute, wise, compassionate, you know, inspiring leaders who are prepared to take a stand and make a difference and change things so that more people thrive and flourish. Okay. How do you change the system or the intersystemic reality? Okay. You know, and um, sorry. No, no, it's okay. Carry on. I was just going to say, I'm loving the opportunity there is today in terms of the reset, because with all the billions that are going into helping people just get through this change, it's going to turn around our economic institutions, our social institutions, even the way we work now, we're all working from home, so regionalisation instead of centralisation. So this huge pivot point that we're at in the world right now needs all these guys called synergists, women and men, um, to lead and create this new social infrastructure, new economic infrastructure, new corporate infrastructure. That's interesting you're saying that because we're in the process, as I say, I'm working with a group of um, coaches um, and we created this collaboration to work with companies so that, you know, it's not just one guy um, and doing the one-on-one. -on -one. So we're trying to create uh, programs and so on. And we've had some interesting meetings in the last couple of weeks. And now that you call it synergists, we have met a couple of synergists. We have met a couple of people They know the world has changed. They need to change. Their business needs to change. And so the people are working with them need different tools than what they've had up to now, which is fascinating. And, and, and it's very 
it's very uplifting to know that there are people out there that are not just looking, okay, I just saved money on the rent. So this is great. Everybody's working from home. Mm-hmm. And so you, you've done hundreds of thousands of hours of, uh, of coaching a 250 liters plus the people you've been working with and I'm assuming some of them are still working with you through the COVID, you know, pre-COVID and during COVID. And what have you seen in terms of changes from the leaders you're dealing with? I mean, has COVID made a big impact on them to shift quicker? Yes, I think it has. And, and I, think, I think it was already coming, but it's now speeding it up. So companies, for instance, have been bringing in agile and holarchies and things like that. But when you do that without the leadership development, then the wheels fall off. When you do the leadership development without changing the organizational container, making it open and liberating, what I call strategic scaffolding, then nothing happens. Um, if you have a CEO who's been dominant and their board is still demanding quarterly returns, then that's also going to stall the organization. So um, I'm seeing a lot more conscious business arriving and arising and thriving. There are a lot of companies, you know, really flourishing today, but they're adopting a lot of the new age technologies and new age ways of working. And yeah, they're more liberating and more purposeful. They're not just pure profit. Um, They're going well. Um, So I think it's a big of a wake up call still for companies that aren't quite seeing that they've got to entertain new possibilities. Yeah, that's interesting. It's nice and optimistic view uh, of uh, the world too, because you know you, you mentioned again in one of your articles is you know we're in a much more unstable, more uncertain, more unsustainable world that we ever been before, and now is the time to really make you know this, the time is it's up. It's time to do something, and and so it, for you. You made a couple of bold statements again in one of, uh, and I say bold because that's just numbers. You say your uh, your um, program is four times more effective than most leadership um, in 10% of the time. So if yeah, I were a amazing, CEO, I would just ring you up straight away and then give you the money. But- yeah, I know. <laughs> why aren't they? Why aren't- Come on, CEOs. But seriously, um, if you, if you, if I'll tell you how the numbers work because it is really okay. interesting. Um, in a leadership program, many of them are 20 days intensive off-site. So you might do you know, uh, five days, four times a year type thing, or four days, five times a year. But you have these big intensive offsites and huge leadership development. And in some research that I've seen, about 25% to 30% of those people shift one stage. So around 25 to 30% shift one stage. When people were working with me, um, 100% shifted a stage, but 20% shifted two stages. So I sort of counted that as a 120% stage shift because it was just a very liberating process. So for me, that's four times, right? 120% is four times 25 to 30. And then the interesting thing is the intervention is just eight coaching sessions on average. So that's eight times 90 minutes. So that's two days spread across the year instead of 20 so that I thought, well, gosh, well, you know, actually, that's 10% of the time. It took me quite a long time to realize this, but I thought, this is actually real based on numbers. Four times a stage shift and 10% of the time. But I suppose, and it's just in eight coaching sessions with a later stage coach and the stage shift approach, that's why people are being certified in it now, so they can work out and learn how to do this too. Um, so, yeah, I suppose I've got to the point where now I'm, I've, I've, 
understood the stage shift, I've understood its commercial effectiveness, I'm certifying more coaches, and my current step is now communicating with CEOs, more organizations to say, hey, we have an approach, we have coaches, we'd love to share more, we can teach you, show you how, let's get it done. Um, that's where I'm currently at. So yeah, if you know any CEOs and if you'd like to join in, we'd love to have you. Interesting. I was looking through the website and I passed it on to my colleagues and they're looking at it at the moment. And uh, yeah, we, we all find it quite interesting. So I might talk to you offline about it all. And um, no, because it's interesting. What, what I liked, what you were saying at the very beginning of the conversation, that it, if you stick to the coaching, uh, you know, the, the the program or the coaching you, you don't do mentoring you don't do this well you're you're just saying well i need to you know sometimes the need for intervention sometimes it's need for mentorship sometimes and 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 then that goes back to your the complexity of a bigger mind and you know having the capacity as a bigger heart and, and so on and so forth i'm assuming that's where you're coming from that you know look it's an ecosystem it's not just you in isolation let's let's see exactly and and i suppose that's the it, does that fit into the speed of the stage shift then? Yeah, I think the speed is the speed is because the interventions are so um, targeted, except I didn't know it at the time when I was first doing it, right? Because most of us when we're coaches, we just coach and we hope we're making, we're, I'm sure we are all making a difference, but we don't really know what we're doing that, that's working. It's a bit like advertising, you know, people keep spending it, but they don't know which one's working. So when I did my research, I, I looked at a, over 100,000 words and transcripts and looked at, okay, what, what was in common? What, what had I actually done over that period of time? And I actually spent about five years doing the research, analyzing the first lot, then analyzing the second lot, then wondering why that had worked. So I really thought through what worked, how it worked, why it worked in the workplace, to distill it down to eight drivers, eight drivers in our 12 modules. So there was a lot of thinking around the analysis mm -hmm. and reflection and why the drivers worked, because otherwise you're still just spending some money and wondering how it's going to work. But this way, the, the whole follow through is there and you can customize it to where the organization is at or to where a person is at and then bring out what's needed in, in response to where they're at. Um, Fascinating, but you also have a, this. Um, well, I suppose you call it the, the holistic approach, which is uh, one, of, one of my colleagues asking me a question. She says, um, "Grace is asking, um, do you think that a shadow work or like limiting beliefs in their child has to be addressed to ensure a full transformation in somebody?" Absolutely essential. So we, you can't get the synergist without it. You just keep being pulled back. It's impossible because. I'll tell you how it works, just from a physical or biological or even just from a mind point of view, is that the shadow are all these wounds we've had, pain we've suppressed when we were a child. And you can even go, you know, go past lifetimes and intergenerational. There's a lot of new research coming out in relation to that. Um, so that's definitely the case as well. But even to start with, just in our own lifetimes, they're all what I describe as voices that haven't been seen, heard, and understood. Um, you know, as little children, we just suppressed the pain. You know, we had these traumas and we just said nothing. We were silent. We, we just, we had nowhere to go with it. So as soon as these voices are brought up to air and they're seen, heard, and understood with a healing heart, and there's a special process to go through, but it's really simple, really, a healing heart, 
then that's called integration. So that becomes an integrated part of ourselves. Now, when that voice is integrated, it doesn't talk anymore. So gradually, as you heal and integrate all these little voices, and you also let go of limiting beliefs that are inherited voices from other people that are no longer, that are not actually part of you anyway, but you've just been enculturated with them. You let those go, and then you start to own your own voice. Your mind empties. Because the voices have been seen, heard, and understood. So that's, that's the miracle, really, of the healing process. Because once your mind is empty, then awareness steps in. And awareness gives you that big mind. All that heart work gives you that big loving heart. Um, and then you can start to become really purposeful because you're no longer triggered or transferring or tracked or being sabotaged by, you know, the little ego that really was just trying to protect you. Um, it, ego gets very subtle. It doesn't ever disappear, I don't think. It hasn't disappeared for me, at least. So um, there's still always this ongoing unveiling, you know, in the collective shadow and intergenerational shadows. But doing this work is liberating, absolutely liberating and essential. Yeah, great. So tell me about the, the certification that you do, because obviously one person quest I get, you know, to change the world from 10% of companies uh, uh, going to a purpose of people to... So you're trying to, 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 to certify more coaches to, have, to follow your, your, your program. And you do that through... How, how does that work and how do people find out about it? Thank you very much for asking, Andrea. It's, um, I've got an accelerated six-month program now. Um, I've also delivered 12 months, but because some people have had a little more time on their hands, we've made it a six-month accelerated program. There are um, 12 modules, which are, each have three, uh, three videos each. That, that it's very rich material. It's good if you've already got some experience as a coach, got life experience, etc., because it's all quite rich. And it goes all the way from strategy to synergy. And then the most value, and that's all self-paced learning over, you know, one, one, uh, one every two weeks. Um, and then every two weeks, we also have something called a discovery dialogue, which is a 90-minute discovery dialogue, which really we're just there present. And we just open up questions and challenges and dilemmas and case studies and clients and all that sort of thing, whatever we all want to explore. And um, I help to share new insights and, you know, bring, give people, yeah, whatever I can in relation to how that might unravel or unveil for them and do coaching on the spot as well, which helps for everyone else in terms of seeing a shift in a person just through a little, little bit, a few minutes of coaching. So that's a six month program. And um, I've got a new one starting on one September, an open program. Um, and then I also do small group programs on a private basis. So I've got groups of coaches who have come to me and said, hey, we, we'd like to bring vertical development into our coaching business. Can you create a group for us? And then I do that as well. Um, and to find out more, you can go to www.stageshift.coach. Okay. Very good. I'll put, the, I'll put, the, I'll put the, the link on the show notes anyway, just to make sure that people can go there. So... So then tell me about if, if, if the CEO is listening now or, or he or she, mm -hmm. whatever may be, and, and they get in touch with you, 
do you pull in uh, other resources or people that have done your courses? Say, for example, you need X yes, amount absolutely. of buyers. Okay, okay. So that then yeah, you bring absolutely. him along. That's the that point. Is, yeah, okay, perfect. Yeah. I'd like, and just to tell those CEOs out there, I'd like to work with global organizations that are interested in conscious awareness and want to shift their business model, or they've already shifted their business model and it's not quite, it's a bit wobbly. Um, because, you know, we can, as with the other stage shift coaches and their current coaches can also become certified in the approach, we can just create stability and sustainability in a very short space of time. Okay. Um, so, yeah. No, that's great. And I mean, I do like, um, I do believe that like we spend so much time at work and, and, you know, if, if companies made that shift, you still make a profit, but you know, you have such a much nicer environment to work in and which I'm assuming is part of what that leader will want to achieve eventually to have a better place for him or her to, to work in for their, their staff to work in. And uh, so you were saying earlier on that there is a bit of a shift, but what about the, the old, when I say the old, the, the, the big ones, the big companies out there, and are they still paying lip service to all this wellness or are they genuinely trying to move the business uh, to, to a more purpose-led? I think they're generally trying, and the very large global corporations um, are really doing a lot of things on the edges you know, a bit of this here, there and all that sort of thing. But I do think it's still on the edges. I don't think it actually shifts their inner culture so much. And I think that's a lot to do with the fact that they're part of a bigger system. They're part of a system of a board of directors that are still demanding the same. They're a part of institutional investors that are demanding the same profit returns. Those institutional investors are being asked by governments and other big investors to saying, hey, where are the returns on our institutional, you know, um, investments etc so it's part of an economic system of capitalism which is actually destroying the value of planet and of people and of our potential um, and but you can see the shifts like you've got the big banks and then you've got the new online operators you see so so the shifts are happening so i can imagine some of the big global corporations are really concerned about their future um, and they're working with minds that can't quite get their heads around, well, how do we transform ourselves? You know, how do we go from being a caterpillar to a butterfly? And typical management consultants, I would say, are also still very much embedded in that old world. So unless we start to bring the new folks in to innovate, be more creative, more productive, more purposeful, more liberated, more evolving, then that system is going to, become more and more obsolete while the new becomes more and more stronger. Mm. And tell me something, do you think, and that's the last question I have for you about coaching, then I'm going to ask you something completely different. <laughs> do, you believe, do you think there's something uh, generational? Like, do you think the new generation, I don't know what they call millennia, Gen X, there's all sorts of names, but let's say the younger mm -hmm. people, the, the people in their 20s, do you think they're more receptive to this new way of work, you know, a better, more purposeful way of working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say they're definitely more aware. They've grown up in a more environmentally aware consciousness that we didn't, for instance. So I think that helps a lot. Um, they've been raised by parents, think again like us, who are more liberating and therefore more empowering and, and have and allowed them to develop their voices and their needs and wants, etc. 
Um, but I still find, I mean, my kids are now 25 to 30, when they go into the workplace or a part of sort of an organization, they're still in their 20s. You know, they're, they're not the general managers or the corporate leaders. So they're still, I think they're lucky if they find themselves in a more conscious workplace and they're yeah, less fortunate if they're in a more traditional workplace. So yeah, I work. I, I do. I enjoy networking with their friends as well to try and say, okay, you know, be 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 aware of where you're choosing to work. Absolutely. Now, what I wanted to ask you is, um, you mentioned to me in the messaging, we were messaging you. You're into your nature and uh, you know, being out in there. So, what do you do for your own well-being? Yeah. Because uh, obviously, it's it's a tough work. You know, so, you know, some of the coaching session you you you'll do, they're not as easy as you you might like, you know, it's, it's, it's quite draining and demanding business. What do you do for your well-being? It can be. And I'll just add the point, the later the stage you are, the more you can embrace without personally flipping up. Um, but nature for me is absolutely essential. I mean, for decades I've meditated. Um, and so now I sort of feel like I'm in a walking meditation most of the time. I still work really hard because I've got so much to accomplish and finish. But I moved to a place called Dimbos, Hartigenbosch, which is in uh, North Brabant in the southern end of Netherlands. And in five minutes walk, I am in nature. I'm in green fields. It's a huge nature reserve. Green fields, horses in the paddocks, the canals just run lengths, you know, in, in the Netherlands. So I take my bike out there and every day when it's possible, not sort of pouring with rain, I'm there. Um, and it, it's heartening and it's necessary for our spirits, I think, to be in nature. A bit like the beach you have behind you there um, outside of Dublin. You know, I, it's, it's really time and I'm, I'm really glad in one way about we've got the pandemic because everybody's going to live or work at home. So now we can choose where to be at home. We don't have to travel anymore. So I hope a lot of people get out of the cities and into more nature. We'll and, be able to revive uh, that way. Yeah, it's lovely. And uh, tell me something. Um, you say that's the land of your ancestors. Who moved to New Zealand? Was it your grandparents? Well, my parents. Both parents your moved parents, to New Zealand. Um, yeah, after the end of World War Two when in the early, um, late 50s, when there was nothing much going on and a lot of immigrants from the Netherlands went to Canada, New Zealand and South Africa mainly. Uh, but my parents ended up in New Zealand, yeah, following family trees. And um, yeah, I've always travelled and I've always felt at home here in Holland and I'm, I've got two kids now in London and one in Sydney. And I just, I just finally have come to rest here in the last three months and now I'm literally at rest. My spirit feels at rest. I love Europe. Um, I love global organizations. There's a greater maturity here in terms of ev evolution than there is, in a, especially in Australia. And New Zealand is stronger, but Australia particularly. So I'm glad to be a part of a um, region, really, that is more orientated in terms of society, social support. You know, the European Union, I think, is a great experiment and needs to continue and mm -hmm. sustain its sense of looking after each other. So I'm glad to be part of that, part of the old culture as well and part of the ancestors, the soul ancestry I have here. And that leads to healing and that sort of thing as well, you know, greater healing. So, um, yeah, I found a nice resting place for a while. Lovely. That's the only thing I wouldn't agree with you on. I wouldn't never leave New Zealand. It's my favorite place in the world after <laughs> Ireland. That's it. That's okay. We only disagreed on one thing in nearly an hour conversation. Yeah. <laughs> That's not too bad. We can both agree it's a beautiful place and it is. Uh, 
Yeah, and being beautifully led at the moment too by Jacinda Ardern. I, I hope New Zealand will be the social experiment uh, for a lot of new social and economic infrastructure. You know, New Zealand's pioneered things before and I hope it will again. Absolutely, and I think she's doing a fantastic job and it's great to see that, that she's, um, she's the centre of attention of a lot of, uh, which is great. You know, obviously, you now the spotlight is on her and uh, hopefully... Other, other countries that shall name, uh, remain nameless will follow, <laughs> will follow in yes, November. Exactly. <laughs> but yes, exactly. Yes, <laughs> uh, yes, I hope so too. And, you know, I'd like to see um, President Kamala Harris in the future. I think that would be a really wonderful thing for America and for the world as well. Absolutely. And on that note, Antoinette, I'm going to let you go. And I really, really appreciate your time. And um, it's been a fantastic conversation. I will talk to you off, offline uh, about your, um, your programs. And who knows, we might end up doing something together. Yeah, no, that'll be lovely. And just before I go, I do have a special offer right now for anybody who's listening to your, your podcast. Um, it's a financial fee reduction of 750 on options two and three. So if anybody's interested, they should just set up a calendar call with me because I always like to talk to people before they register. It's really nice to familiarize themselves with the program and to see whether it's a good fit and that sort of thing. Uh, make sure that it's going to work for them. So if they have a look at my website, just to set up a one-on-one -on -one with me through my Zoom link, and I'd love to talk. Okay, so, I'll put that in the show notes as well. People can just, uh, just I'll put the link in, and hopefully somebody yeah. will get in touch with you. Yeah, it'll be lovely. And thank you so much, Andrea, for giving me the opportunity having a chat with you. It's been absolutely you know, wonderful and um, so pleasant to be able to talk about me for a change. It makes a big, <laughs> big change. So thanks so very much. <laughs> thank you. And let's speak to you soon, Antoinette. Thank you. Wow.